morning. You can go ahead and get those open to the New Testament letter of 1 Peter. We're going to be continuing in our series, Set Apart, a journey through 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. And as you're getting there, um, on July 29th, so 29 or 20 days after my birthday, if you're keeping score, on July 29th, 1954, so a lot of years before my birthday, um, one of the greatest journeys known to mankind began. Uh, in fact, I bet it's so great that there's probably not a lot of you who you know what it is. So uh, <laughs> that, was, that was a joke. Uh, we'll laugh at the next one, though. Um, it was a group of unlikely characters tasked with one goal in mind, to save their world. And this companion of friends, they're going to face many daunting challenges. They're going to encounter lots of new creatures, some of which they had never seen before. And they're going to navigate through many breathtaking landscapes. And while they journey, they'll face many obstacles. They'll battle. They'll have battles and wars against those who oppose them. They'll face the pride within the group that they're traveling with. And most treacherous maybe of all is that they'll have to face their own fears and overcome their own weaknesses. However, despite the difficult journey, it will end on a high note. It will take courage, it will take sacrifice, and it will take the desire for good to prevail over evil. It's an epic journey, and it's a beautiful example, I think, of the battle between good and evil. And it starts in the Shire of Middle-earth. Lord of the Rings, come on, guys. It starts with Gandalf the Grey recruiting Frodo Baggins, the nephew of the hobbit Bilbo. And just so you know, that, like, generic description I read, I got that from AI. So I thought it did pretty good. It's like, oh, cool. Um, uh, But it starts with Gandalf the Grey recruiting Frodo Baggins, the young hobbit, nephew of Bilbo, to journey toward the land of Mordor so that they can destroy the ring of power that holds its grip of evil over all of Middle-earth. But the only way that it can be destroyed is if it's tossed into the fires of Mount Doom. And if you've seen the movies or read the books, uh, the books are really long. I started it last January, and I'm almost done with the first one. So my goal is to finish it this January. So we'll see, though. Um, I don't have much time left. Um, uh, It's a crazy adventure, and it starts with those that you would least expect. And after about 1,200 pages for the three books or 10-ish hours to get through the three movies, it's a little bit longer if you watch the extended edition. Uh, And you mix in some determination, some struggle, some persistence, and a crazy amount of pursuit, no matter the consequences. This group, led by Gandalf and Frodo, will prevail. And at the end of that third movie, they will save Middle-earth. And like I said, I think it's an incredible example. It's an incredible story, but I think it's a more beautiful example of what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you're in First Peter chapter 2, uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 11 what Tyler read for us this morning. But if you haven't been with us, if this is your first Sunday back in a couple of weeks, or if you're new or visiting, um, we have been going through the letter of First Peter for the last two weeks, and we'll wrap it up 
next week. Uh, and for the visual learners, I was, as I was studying for this passage, I found a picture that I really liked and a picture that I figured a lot of you would really like. And so on the left, we have a mosaic of Peter found on the crypt of Peter, which is his tomb, or regarded as his tomb, at St. Peter's Church in Rome. And then on the right, this was the picture I thought you guys would like. We have Peter from uh, the Chosen series, but uh, we'll just keep that up there for you visual learners. Just have something to look at if you need it. But uh, remember, as we're going through this letter of First Peter, a lot of scholars believe that this letter was written by the Peter who followed Jesus, one of the first disciples that Jesus called. He was a Galilean fisherman. He was young, uh, and throughout the Gospels, he was kind of uh, he was kind of arrogant. Or uh, yeah, that's a good way to say it, maybe. But he receives one of Jesus's harshest rebukes in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus tells him to get behind me. Satan. It's the same Peter that wrote this letter that we're going to be looking at who gets out of the boat confidently but ends up sinking because of his doubt or his lack of faith in Jesus. It's the same Peter who denied knowing Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was betrayed. However, his story doesn't end there, and I think that's hopeful for us today. We know that Peter will later get reinstated by the resurrected Jesus after he comes back from the dead. And afterward, when Jesus ascends into heaven, Peter will become a prominent figure in the first church in Jerusalem. Later, he'll uh, help lead the church in Antioch. And if you flip to chapter 5 in 1 Peter, you'll notice towards the end that Peter refers to himself as now being in Babylon which was his way of saying that he was in Rome. Rome was the new Babylon during Peter's time. And we know that it's here in Rome that Peter will eventually be martyred for his faith in Jesus. But before his death and while he's in Rome, Peter is going to write this letter to a group of churches in uh, what we would consider modern-day Turkey. So I've got a map up here for you to kind of see it. Uh, we've got Italy over here, if you're familiar. And then this is kind of the region that Peter was writing to. So in those first couple of verses, it says, To the church communities in, uh, let's see, where is it? Pontus, um, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, and like I said, that's modern-day Turkey for us, if you're kind of following. Here's Egypt down here, Palestine, Jerusalem. You can kind of see that. And if you've read through this little letter before, or if you're reading through it with us now, it doesn't take long to figure out why Peter wrote this letter. Peter is writing to encourage the Christians, the churches in this area, to continue to live in a way that is honoring and glorifying or set apart, live set apart for the sake of Jesus despite the circumstances that you're facing. And that's the reason we've been calling this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks Set Apart, because the call of Peter and the, the churches that he was writing to was a call to be set apart. It's to, it's to live in a way uh, that is different, that is holy, that set apart is just how we would maybe translate or put in more normal terms the word holy. And so picking up in chapter 2, verse 11, where we're going to be starting this morning, Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you, 
as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Peter is calling, or is calling the followers of Jesus to live by a different standard than those around them, even in the face of the circumstances that they may be facing. Don't live like the world lives, Peter is saying. Don't live according to your flesh would be maybe how Paul would say it. Rather, live by the Spirit inside of you. Or Jesus might say it, don't live for yourself. No, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow after me. And I think it's important to say here that when we live in such a way worthy of the calling that we have received from Jesus, we don't live so that we earn the love of Jesus. We don't pursue being set apart or pursue holiness to earn the love of the Father. We live this way in response to the Father. We live this way because of what God has done for us by sending his son Jesus to die for us. As followers of Jesus, we conduct ourselves in a way and we live in a way that is in response to God's action. We live in a way that points back to the love of God, not in a way that is trying to earn the love of God. And Peter continues in verse 13. He gets a little more specific with how you can live this out. He says, Therefore, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, verse 14, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Peter, throughout his letter, is challenging the followers of Jesus to live in a way that glorifies Jesus in the way of Jesus, no matter what they're going through. We've talked a little bit the last couple of weeks about maybe the social pressure that they were facing living as foreigners and exiles in the land that they were living. But Peter is calling them to live a life that is set apart for those are from those around them who do not follow Jesus. And that call still holds true for us today. The call for God's people to be set apart is a call that doesn't originate with Peter. It doesn't originate or start in the New Testament even. This call to be set apart is something that we read about at the very beginning of the Bible. It's what God calls Abraham to do in Genesis chapter 12. And later in the Old Testament, it's what God will call the Israelites through his prophet Moses to do. In fact, Peter quotes this famous Old Testament passage from Moses in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. That word holy, again, can be set apart. For it is written, and here he's quoting Leviticus uh, chapter 11 and chapter 19, He says, be holy because I am holy. Those were God's words to the Israelites 
thousands of years before. And it's those words that Peter is tapping into to speak to the church today. From the very beginning, through Jesus to Peter, and now for us today, the call for God's people is to be holy, to be set apart. It's because of our close relationship with God through, the, or through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we are called to undertake this task. And that leads to our big idea this morning that I want to throw up on the screen, uh, and I want to focus in on it for our remaining time. It's that lifelong followers of Jesus pursue holiness no matter what. Lifelong followers of Jesus pursue holiness no matter what. Looking again at those first two verses, 11 and 12, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. If we could put verse 11 back up there. The first thing that I want you to notice is look what Paul calls the churches that he's writing to. He calls them foreigners and exiles. And by calling this, calling them this, he's drawing on a bunch of Old Testament imagery or themes. And he's in sense, or in a sense, giving them a reminder of who they are now as followers of Jesus. You may be familiar with some of the old hymns talking about how this world is not our home. It's this same idea that Peter is tapping into by calling the churches uh, foreigners and exiles. The land that you now occupy is not your permanent residence if you follow Jesus. Though we have been commissioned to begin bringing the kingdom of God, this world cannot and will not be fully redeemed until Jesus himself returns. And so by calling them foreigners and exiles, it serves to remind them of who they really are and what they are really called to do. It, and it reminds them to expect the kind of social pressure and ostracism that they are facing. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to take the call and commit your life to him, if you're going to take that seriously, you should know that that is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something personal, but it's also going to cost you on a much bigger level. Again, think of all the implications of that journey in the story of the Lord of the Rings. But despite this not being their home and being told to expect difficulty in the journey, Peter calls them to abstain from sinful desires, to live such good lives so that the unbelievers may see their good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. To follow Jesus, to live set apart, it's to pursue holiness no matter what. It's the first part of that big idea. To follow Jesus, to commit to the way of the crucified king, it's to live and to pursue holiness. And if you want to get more specific about what that looks like, Peter expounds to his audience in those next couple of verses. He explains it in a way that hits home for his audience. Remember, Peter himself is writing from the very heart of the Roman Empire, the capital. And he's writing to churches who are living under Roman rule. And at this point in history, Rome isn't too fond of the, the way of Jesus. In fact, 
If Peter did indeed write this letter, it would probably be less than a decade later that he will be martyred by Emperor Nero for his faith and his proclamation in the statement that Jesus is the real king, not Caesar. But despite their circumstances and their place on the timeline of world history, Peter commands the churches to submit themselves to those in charge. Submit yourselves to the emperor, to the governor. Pursue holiness no matter who's in charge. And if you are on social media or whatever, you know that this is often a verse that can be taken out of context. It can be slapped up in a Facebook argument. And I'm sure that's nothing new, and I'm sure that will be something that continues to happen. And while Peter does absolutely command us to submit ourselves to those in charge, we have to read that verse within the context, not just of his entire letter, but within the entire canon of Scripture. We cannot treat the Bible, we cannot treat the Word of God as this spiritual grab bag of one-liners that we toss on our bumper stickers or we post on our social media profiles uh, to promote our way of thinking or our way of life. If anything, I think within the context of his letter, I think what Peter is really saying points back to this idea, this big idea of pursuing holiness, like I said earlier, no matter who is in charge. To follow Jesus, to live set apart, to pursue holiness, it's a call that we can engage in no matter the world around us. And when we pursue the call to follow Jesus, when we take that seriously, we live lives that are set apart from our neighbors, from our co-workers, from those around us, and we silence the foolish, Peter says. And so we strive to live in a way that demonstrates the holiness of God, even if it's a, in a context where everything on, going on around us is everything but holy. And it reminds me of a sermon that Jesus preached that Peter had a front row seat to in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this. He says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Pursue the way of Jesus. Pursue holiness. Pursue being set apart no matter what it may cost you. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want to give us some encouragement, and I want to give us an action point that we can take home. It's been a cold and snowy week, right? Yeah, amen. It's been a cold and snowy week. Kids, you've had, you had one normal day of school this week, you, Thursday. That was it. Parents, you're probably like, I can't wait for school to come back. Um, and you know, the, last week, earlier last week, it was saying it might be in the 50s this week. I just looked earlier. It's not, it's not looking like that. It may be in the 40s, but we're supposed to get some freezing rain and a bunch of stuff. But... Am I saying, is this approval from God or not? <laughs> Something you got to wrestle with up here. I'm going to keep trotting forward and trust the work I've been doing. Um, <clears throat> but these signs of warmer weather, they inevitably, inevitably bring hope with them, right? 
It's hard to not look forward to what warmer weather comes when we kind of get a tease of it, especially in the middle of January. But again, even if it does, for some miraculous reason, get into the 50s this week, uh, remember it is Indiana, and it might be back to the negatives the next week. So, like, don't get too hopeful. Winter always gets one last, like, punch when we least expect it. Um, But like I said, we can't help but look forward to the things that come with warm weather things like mowing your yard, if you enjoy that. In fact, I was just standing at our back patio looking out uh, this week. It's all snow-covered. Our garden boxes are snow-covered. Our backyard, that's like small backyard. Uh, and I told Hannah, I told Hannah as I'm sitting there, she's working in the kitchen. I was like, you know, I'll be out there mowing before you know it. And I might, but um, a lot comes with warmer weather. Mowing your yard, longer days. I get very upset when it's dark at 4.30. Longer days. Swimming pools. I like swimming and being outside. I like cookouts more, though. I like hamburgers and hot dogs and brats and smoked meat, Uh, something that you do a lot more in the summer. And inevitably, one thing that the warmer weather brings, especially for our region, for our context, and and something that Hannah and I enjoy doing, is gardening, or uh, for some of you in the room, for farming. Warm weather is obviously the better time to farm. Unfortunately, our anniversary is in May, and I booked us a trip for our five-year anniversary in May, and one of the first things we said was, well, we're either going to have to start our garden early or we're going to have to start it late this year. Um, we'll figure it out, though. That's, that's, that is our problem. Um, but when it comes to gardening or when it comes to farming, I think there's something deeply similar to this idea of pursuing holiness no matter what, that we can find is deeply encouraging this morning. When you want to grow a plant, you want to grow that beautiful green bell pepper for your salad, you have to prepare the ground. The ground right now is not prepared. It is frozen. Do not plant your green peppers. I don't know. I don't have a green thumb, so I shouldn't say that for sure, but I'm going to assume I shouldn't plant my bell peppers right now. I'm going to assume I should wait until it's warmer when the ground is ready. Then, once the ground is ready, you plant the seed. Then, once it's planted, you cultivate the ground, you take care of the plant so that it lives in an environment where it can grow and produce. And if you do this on a manageable scale, like a garden, the variables become less and less. You can pull weeds. You can protect your plants from predators. But if you do it on a larger scale... The farmer knows that there is only so much that they can control. There's only so much that they can do ahead of time, during, and after, before nature just sort of takes over. The farmer can't force the seed to germinate. They can't force the sun to shine. They can't force the rain to fall. And if the farmer wants a good yield, then there has to be a mutual dependence that God will provide. But depending on God does not excuse the farmer from still doing his work, like plowing, planting, fertilizing, and cultivating. In essence, you can think of this relationship between the farmer and God as a mutual partnership. God allows the harvest to be fruitful. He honors the work of the farmer. God will not do what the farmer is supposed to do, and the farmer cannot do what God is supposed to do. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus when it comes to this idea of pursuing holiness. 
There's things that only God can do, and there's things that we are called to do. I love this quote from the author Jerry Bridges. He says, No one can attain to any degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely, no one will attain it without effort on his own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he has given to us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. Our pursuit of holiness, no matter what, our desire to fulfill the call of Peter, is what I would call a joint venture. And as we wrap up this morning, I think there's one place where we can all agree to start when it comes to this idea of pursuing holiness, no matter what. And before I do the big reveal about what that is, I've got one question. What is one thing that gets in the way of your pursuit of holiness? What is one thing that gets in the way of your pursuit of holiness? Are you too busy? Is your schedule too filled? Are you too tired? Are you overwhelmed? Are you new? to the following of Jesus. What is one thing that gets in your way of pursuing holiness, of pursuing set-apartness for the sake of Jesus? I think for our church this morning and for a lot of the churches in our area, especially here in the West, pursuing holiness, trying to become set apart, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that we need to do more. In fact, I think when it comes to following Jesus, I would argue that if we're going to put this idea into action, it needs to start with doing less. To become set apart, we need to set aside the distractions that hinder our pursuit to becoming more like Jesus. If we are truly going to become lifelong followers of Jesus today, then we need to begin by taking an honest inventory of the things that truly occupy the center of our lives. To where are you facing? Because inevitably, where you face is what you will become. And if we're going to take this call seriously, to follow Jesus, to become set apart, to pursue holiness no matter what, to become the kind of person that Jesus has created us to be, then we need to begin by eliminating the things that get in our way of Jesus. We need to reorient, reposition ourselves towards what matter most. To become the kind of free person that Peter talks about in verse 16, we have to place our walk with Jesus back at the center of our lives. And one way that we can begin to do that is by prioritizing prayer. And that's the action step. One way that we can begin pursuing holiness no matter what is by prioritizing prayer. And when I say prayer, I mean regular communion with God. Regular communion with God. And as you get older, you realize that that looks different for everybody. 
For some of us in the room, it may look like stillness, silence, and solitude. For others of you, it may look like a nice meal with your family or some friends. For some, it may look like prayer, actual prayer, how we tend to think about it, talking with, listening to God. For others, it may look like a walk in the woods. It may look like reading your Bible. Whatever it looks like, if we are going to become set apart, we need to begin by prioritizing prayer as lifelong followers of Jesus who pursue holiness no matter what. That can start with prioritizing prayer. And before we go into our time of communion, I want to give you all a free resource that I have been using and that I have found very beneficial for about the last six months. It's called the Lectio 365 app, and we've got a graphic of it that we can throw up on the screen. And think about it as a sort of daily devotional. We'll get that put back up there, and there's a QR code that you can scan, and it will take you to their website where you can download this app And it is a time of guided prayer for the morning and for the evening. There's a morning prayer and there's a night prayer. And it will help you encounter God through guided times of reflection, of silence, of scripture. It was created by the 24-7 prayer movement, which is a worldwide prayer movement. And their vision is to revive the church and rewire culture through nonstop night and day prayer. All you have to do, you go open up your app store, you can scan the QR code, search for Lectio 365, and when you open it, I'm encouraging you to open that up once it gets downloaded. You'll see that there's a morning prayer, there's an evening prayer. Thumb through those. The Each prayer time, it comes with an audio file, so I like to listen to them. Uh, that way it forces me to slow down. I can't just read through it, take two minutes, close it, and move on to the next thing. Uh, I don't think I've ever done one that's been longer than 13 minutes, and the evening prayer ones are even shorter than that. They're usually five to six minutes. Uh, But it helps you slow down, and it helps you refocus to reorient yourself, to put back at the center of your life what is most important. It will help you on that journey to pursue holiness. Let me say our big idea again this morning. We'll leave that up there. As lifelong followers of Jesus, we are called to pursue holiness no matter what. And that can start with prioritizing prayer. And so as we enter into this time of communion, I want to read you a quote from Ruth Haley Barton. She's one of my favorite authors. She says this. She says, Your desire for more of God than you have right now your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. It is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more of God than you have right now that is the deepest essence of who you are. And as we sit for a couple of moments in silence and as we reflect on the God who loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, we remember that the partnership between us and the Father does not have to end at the cross of Calvary. Rather, we can pursue holiness in response to what God has done for us. And we can start 
by prioritizing prayer. And so for the next couple of moments, we're going to have some time to just sit and to reflect, to pray, to reorient yourself back to what matters most. And after that moment of silence, I'll come back together and I will lead us in the taking of the bread and the cup. As we seek to become more like Jesus, as we seek to become more set apart from those around us, as we seek to pursue holiness, we remember the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. We remember the meal that he shared with Peter. And we remember that Jesus took the bread And he broke it, and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he blessed it. And he passed it to his disciples and he said, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for guiding us here and, and bringing us here. I pray that we would leave here with our cups filled, whether that was from a conversation we had with someone, a memory that we made, something we heard, something we sang, a moment that we got to experience you. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would have met us all here this morning. And Father, as we leave We ask that your Holy Spirit would empower us, would give us what we need so that we can pursue holiness no matter what. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh in our lives today, tomorrow, 
and for the rest of the week so that we can be the kind of set-apart follower that you have created us to be. May we not grow tired or weary of you, Father, and when we drift away, may you give us the gentle nudge to turn back to you. We love you, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.